Hey y'all and welcome to another edition of the Nolcast. This is a solo edition because Ingram is in Montana. So I'll be starting and uh, and finishing this one, trying to throw a complete game here on a Monday morning. Uh, no instant reaction podcast after the ball game, like we said there wouldn't be uh, after an FCS game or a, a smaller game. We typically don't do those. But, uh, but certainly <laughs> some stuff we need to react to. From that 36-26 uh, win over Samford on uh, on Saturday night, and uh, first we start by thanking our sponsor, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one great product. They've been a great sponsor for us uh, throughout. They, they they go at go at their uh, their approach with lethal simplicity, just three ingredients, awesome product. And uh, right now they're they're doing a better better job of their product uh, than Florida State is on the field uh, with with theirs. On Twitter, I, I called this game an interminable slog, and it really was. It just, I didn't watch it live. I was at a wedding, and, and so I, I've watched the replay now twice and, and gone through and, and you know, kind of worn out the the rewind button on my remote. And uh, I can't imagine what this game would have been like to sit through. Two-hour, what, lightning weather delay. So it's already starting at, you know, pretty pretty late at night. Then you have all these super long reviews that just kill the flow of the game. Kalon LeBourne, you know, blows his knee or, or, or kneecap injury rather on the uh, on the second kickoff of the game. Just a short rest. It, it felt like there was just no flow to it. Like it, it was just it was just weird. And that that's not an excuse, but rather an observation. You had to be miserable watching this. And and I picked up on this because I, I talked to my friends and. And some other folks in the media, and they were like, God, that was just so horrible. And I watched it just look snap to snap. I'm not watching for the TV commentary. I usually watch it on mute so I can not be influenced by, by what the announcers say. And uh, watching it uh, just in terms of evaluating the play, it was bad, but it wasn't horrible for the most part. I think part of the reason why everybody's in such a bad mood in the Florida State fan base are some of those other external factors, the, the delay of the game, all the reviews, the the, the sloppiness of the, of the short week, LeBorn going down. So we'll get into this, and then we asked for questions uh, on Twitter and email, and we received uh, several hundred. So great to see that everybody is still very much engaged as a fan base, and uh, we, we need, to, uh, need to get some of those questions as well. As always, follow us on Twitter at Nolcast. If you're listening to this on Fox Sports Radio, then please uh, please also subscribe either on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, depending on what kind of phone you have. Sometimes the episodes do go longer uh, than the time that we get uh, for for the hour on the radio. So, did, did it feel like every time Florida State started to get something going, that just another thing would go wrong? Because that's what it felt like to me. It was just it was just wild. It, They'd have a good play. We'd get called back for for a penalty. They'd, they'd have a, a good defensive play, like, like DeMarcus Christmas snipping out that, that that reverse pass that Sanford was trying to throw. Makes a great play in open space on a much smaller man, and his hand touches the face mask a little bit. All right. And so it, it, it's a brand-new set of downs for Sanford. You know, you, you had the play where we have a freshman DB drop a pick, and then, and then Samuels goes for the big hit. When he really probably could have picked the pass off, and then, and then you know the very next play on third down after two really nice plays in a row by FSU in terms of being there 
um, just just not being able to finish a play on defense. All of a sudden, Delvin Hodges, the, the the quarterback who we told you all about in the preview podcast, all of a sudden he he just drops a, a beautiful pass in a bucket over cover two. Man, just every time FSU kind of got something going, either a self-inflicted wound, some kind of weird bounce, or just an incredible play by Hodges. And, and we should start by giving him some credit. Obviously, this is not the Sanford podcast. It's, it's the Nolcast. But he was really good. And that, that kid is a, a draftable prospect, a guy who's going to definitely play in the NFL. And he was the best quarterback, I thought, on the field on Saturday night. So let's talk about the offense, though, to start. Not a good night for the offense. I mean, 5.6 yards per play mixed into that. There was, I mean, obviously at the, the end of the game, you have, you know, two for negative three, but but still not not a uh, not a significant thing there um, that, that impacts the average all that much. They did run 81 plays, which obviously you want to run more plays. Average uh, rushing without the sacks, 4.2. Uh, but but no explosiveness in the run game at all. Uh, long run on the night was just 14 yards, so uh, definitely need to get more explosiveness out of the run game. Uh, success rate 38 percent, so de- def- definitely not what you're looking for there against against an FCS team. Uh, that should be more. It, it should be over the 50 percent mark, in my opinion, for sure. So uh, so lacking there in the consistency areas, um, and yet there were some positives and and. And one real negative. On the positive side of things, uh, I really do think you you are seeing the play calling evolving. All right, you cannot change your whole offense in year one. You first of all, you're installing a new system, so you can't just scrap what you've been installing, which is going to take a while, and then start to start to run something totally different. But I believe we are seeing changes to adapt this year one offense to your personnel. As best you can within within the constraints of putting in the new system, right? You're not going to hamstring yourself for future years. You're not going to, by, by totally scrapping this and doing something different. Were some of these guys recruited to play in the other system? Yeah, I guess the majority were, but I don't think they're a terrible fit for the new system at all. And I think that you will see continual improvement there. But I, I do think you saw a better play calling. I thought Francois uh, threw the ball pretty well. And I'll talk about that in an individual segment. In a minute, and I think the honestly the execution by most of the groups out there was better, so that was good because against Virginia Tech, people, well, I, I thought the execution was rather poor by by a lot of the groups, and and we did see better execution. Granted, there's a, a talent differential between the Sanford defense and the Virginia Tech defense, uh, but I think your receivers were were better. Um, I think Francois was better. I think the running backs were were largely better. McKitty is, is still playing well. And I think you're seeing some continued adjustments to the tempo, which impact communication. That's not something you can scrap, and that's something that will probably continue, but I think will get progressively better throughout the season as this team becomes more comfortable operating at tempo. And you're seeing continued integration of, of the jet motion, which is a big part of this offense. I, I think it's starting to impact some defenses a little bit. There's going to be some additional series they run off that stuff we've seen them do at Oregon and at USF um, that will, I think, maybe help free up a little bit of stuff in the run game. But 
this team's inability to run the football and create explosive runs is is definitely an issue. And you know, look, y'all, there's there's not much FSU can do about this. The offensive line was terrible. In the preseason, we did our, our position preview podcast. You can go back and listen to this. And and, and what, what did we say? We said, look, this offensive line, the starters should be decent, but they cannot afford injuries, especially at tackle, because the backups just simply can't play. We said, look, they, they can barely run practice with the backups. Like when, when the ones on defense go against the twos on offense, they kill them. It's it's just not not a functional way to run practice because of, of how bad the backups are, particularly at offensive tackle. And yet, y'all, this offensive line is, is already they're already kind of decimated by injury. And this is just absolutely the, the one spot this team could not afford to have injuries at. And it's exactly where it happened. And it happened early in the season. And this is really the one thing that we thought could derail the season. And look, it's already happened. How much you can do about injury? You know, you're, you're losing Landon Dickerson for, I think, at least several games. We'll see if he comes back this year. I, I assume he will, but I, I, I don't know that to be to be a case. Juwan Williams uh, was was pulled. It looks like for for Brady Scott Williams just uh, was abandoning his technique. Very disappointing uh, in in that area to me, because he's a guy who I thought you'd seen make some progress and. Uh, and for him to regress like that is huge. So basically, you were down both your starting tackles in this game, one due to injury and the other due to uh, to just kind of losing his poise and, and not playing with technique and and really not playing with with uh, with great competitive effort there. At least it didn't look like it. Now, maybe that's because he was lacking in confidence and second-guessing himself. That's certainly possible, but not not what you wanted to see from him and and that offensive line group right now is is terrible and they were much worse in this game than they were against Virginia Tech right against Virginia Tech a lot of people thought oh man the, the offensive line is just playing terribly I I didn't think so not not as not as badly but the injuries now that are piling up yeah they were legitimately awful against Sanford and and I don't think there's a whole lot you can do to fix this I think you're just got to you're just going to get 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 dominated most games. It's kind of sad that it's come to this, but this is the group that this staff was was given by the previous staff, and uh, they're going to have to recruit to fix this. And you know, it stinks because it could have been a lot better if they could have just stayed healthy. But already, you know, Dickerson getting hurt, Minshew getting hurt, you know, Derek Kelly coming off off injury. I don't think they've had their desired group. Of offensive linemen, which was Williams, Kelly, Everly, Minshew, and Dickerson, they've not played together yet because Minshew didn't even play the first game, and now Dickerson's going to be out for a while. That's just just really disappointing. Um, the offensive line is hampering this offense a lot right now, and I, I don't know that they have any answers. And I don't know they really. I, I don't know that there are answers to have. Right? I I, I don't know what people think can be done here. The one issue I think you could maybe improve some is communication. And I believe that is why they did not rotate guys that much in the preseason. In fall camp, they pretty much had the same starting five every day. And the reason for that, I believe, 
is because they wanted to develop good communication between those starters because they thought that was their chance to be good. I think that was a, a fair evaluation of the talent by the staff, and I think that was a, a good goal. But now those guys are, are hurt, and the backups, I don't think the current unit has played together very much. You know, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of starters and backups. And number one, they lack talent. Number two, they, they lack experience. Number three, they lack experience together. If you can keep this same group together going forward, for instance, if you don't keep suffering injuries on the offensive line, the, the, the thinnest spot on the team, except for maybe linebacker, then I think that they may be able to improve their communication some, which would, which is, look, it's not like a physical thing, right? You're not asking somebody to completely transform who they are physically in the middle of the year, because that's just not going to happen. But if they can improve their communication some, then you may be able to have fewer guys running through the offensive line just just totally untouched, right? Because that that's more of a technique slash communication uh, and execution of assignment issue than it is physical domination issue, which, of course, they're not doing. I was also disappointed in the high snaps. There were frequent high snaps. Francois was not really jumping, but having to get up kind of on his toes to catch a lot of these snaps. And then also, I, I was interested to see Brady Scott uh, come in for, for Jawan Williams with, with Abdul Bello, uh, you know, not, not there. And, uh, you know, Scott was okay. But then again, it, it's, it's against Sanford. So I, I want to kind of reserve judgment there. Uh, he's, to me, he's more of, a, of an interior guy. But look, so is Landon Dickerson. And you were already having to play a guard at off to tackle, even in the best case scenario. So I think everybody, I think they made actual improvements on offense in this game at most of the spots. I thought the play calling was better. Not crazily better, but I don't think it was actually that bad against Vatek. But the offensive line uh, really covered up a lot of those improvements. So if you're not really going through and watching each segment, you're probably not seeing this kind of stuff. Um, and I, And look, I don't think the offensive line is going to get a lot better this year. So, and if you get if they get any more injuries, it could just be totally worse. You may not see a whole lot of improvement from the offense. I, I guess we'll see. Moving on now, I want to talk about DeAndre Francois a little bit. Uh, I thought he threw the ball well. They they certainly set up some shot plays where where he's not really having to read down the field and uh, and was able to get the ball to the open man. I thought he had good ball placement uh, on on some of the deep throws, which was encouraging. Obviously, he had a couple of misses. He, the, the one he missed to Cam Akers was was very disappointing. Um, you know, a couple of throws are probably on the wrong shoulder, but I, I give him fairly high marks. I, I, I think he did well throwing the football. Again, it's Sanford. I thought he also showed good toughness. Francois took a lot of shots in this game, uh, certainly more, more than he did against Virginia Tech, and that's because the offensive line was playing uh, terribly in front of him, and he, he, he kept getting up. Kept trying to trying to show toughness, and uh, and that was good. I thought he made good decisions in the passing game. He took some, you know, like a free five yards, throwing a hitch or a slant when it was there uh, against off coverage. Now the negatives. Francois uh, still doesn't seem to be doing very well in in, in the read game. Of course, I don't know exactly how many of these were were, were called reads, but. Judging by the blocking scheme, at least some of them were. And right now, Francois and this offense do not threaten the edge with the run game. And that really hampers what you do 
between the tackles because defenses just simply do not respect the threat of him keeping the ball. And it's not because that they don't respect him as an athlete. It's because he has just not shown a willingness to keep the ball, assuming that he's reading the defense correctly. In fact, on the play that he went and scored against Samford, that Samford defense just looks completely shocked that he would uh, that, that he would think about even keeping the ball. And it is so wide open, he's able to basically prance into the end zone. That They have to have more of that. This offense does not need a dynamic runner at quarterback. It does need the quarterback to keep the defense honest in the run game. And right now, they are not doing that. This run game, especially with this offensive line, will not improve very much if DeAndre Francois is not willing to keep the football. I don't need him to run the ball 20 times a game. This offense does not need him to run for 100 yards a game. It does probably need, I don't know, twice a quarter for Francois to be running with the ball. Not even huge runs, just to keep the defense honest. Because right now, every defense they play is fast-flowing to the running back like crazy. It is putting the offense at a numerical disadvantage. You cannot block six defenders with five men. Francois' threat of run is not actually holding the backside defender on these runs at all, and that's causing a lot of these runs to get hit well before they should. I think it's also uh, causing some issues for the running back. Additionally, there are several instances in this game where I believe Francois has the option to take the ball and pitch it out on a bubble screen because the numbers dictate that he should, and there, or because the coverage dictates that he should. And there are a couple times where, where that doesn't happen. They have got to do a better job of threatening the edge, both in the run game via Francois keeping the ball and via the bubble screen game, uh, simply to keep defenses honest. Because if they don't, this is going to become the, the easiest offense in the world to defend. And that's not really a scheme thing. It's just a common sense thing. Every offense must have plays which constrain the defense. I mean, they're literally called constraint plays. They constrain the defense. Pitching the ball out to the edge there uh, is is very helpful. Uh, and you have to keep doing it. So we'll, we'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But overall, I thought he did a good job reading the defense in the pass game and, uh, and uh, took care of the football for the most part and made some good downfield throws. So that was solid. The other stuff's just going to have to be about stuff in the run game. With the running backs, I thought Jacques Patrick ran hard uh, and ran disciplined. And by that, I mean, I think he hit the correct hole and ran with good patience. With Cam Akers, uh, I think Akers is is trying too hard. I think he's trying so hard to be the guy for this offense. Uh, and I, I do believe he's the best back they have. But right now, he's not staying within, within the design of the play. And he's trying to play, kind of play hero ball, it looks like. For instance... On some of these inside zone runs, they're, they're getting bounced to the outside, and that's just not where the where the play is designed to go. The, the staff, and I'm sure they're doing this, but they, they need to continue to tell Akers, hey, just take the three yards if it's there on first down. We'll live with, 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 with second and seven. A couple of these will probably pop because for as poorly as the offensive line played, and look, y'all, they did. They were bad. There are runs where the offensive line looks poorly, 
that are actually the fault of the running back because of the fact that he's not taking the yards that the offensive line did block. There are also plays where the offensive line looks really bad when it's actually the quarterback's fault for not keeping the ball and just handing it off, making the running back look bad, making the offensive line look bad, when in fact the right play is to keep the football because the defense is fast-flowing to the running back so hard. It all works in concert. The biggest issue is the offensive line. It is not the only issue. I, I bring this up because there are these are parts that literally can be fixed, I believe, uh, and, and fixed in somewhat short order, I, I, I believe, with, with coaching and with experience in the system. I can't blame Cam Akers for not trusting the offensive line, but with continued film work, they're going to show him, hey, uh, you know, you really you need to take these yards here. Like the offensive line actually blocked this one for you. Just, just trust yourself, hit it up in there. Don't bounce this. On counters, keep your track. Some of these are blocked fairly well, and, and, and you, need to, you need to keep them, right? Just, just trust the play. If the offensive line screws up, okay. But, but you need to do your job and, and keep trusting the play. Right now, Patrick, who is not a better athlete by any stretch than Akers, and I don't think really actually runs harder than Akers, Patrick is doing a better job of playing with, within the confines of the scheme. Quickly now, because I'm running a little bit long on this, uh, I thought Trey McKitty had another nice game. I'm encouraged by his blocking somewhat, and he's catching the football uh, well, getting open. Tamari and Terry, two touchdown catches. Nice to see that. I think he'll continue to grow as the season progresses. Second game in a row where we kind of saw Keith Gavin disappear after a drop, and that was disappointing. Um, He started out games well so far and then had a drop and basically kind of gone away and and needs to to not have that happen. needs to play more level if he can. Continued involvement with DJ Matthews, that's good. I think you want to see him more and more. He's a guy in open space who can do some damage, and I think he catches the ball well. George Campbell had a drop, but uh, but did play, I thought, better. Ran hard after the catch. And then Nyquan Murray um, caught six balls. So that was, you know, that was solid. They did create some some chunk plays in the passing game, right? You had four passes of 25-plus, and then you had another, uh, another eight of 15 or more. So... You know, they, they created some kind of decent, I would say, middle explosive plays. They didn't hit that 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 kill shot, that 40 or 50 yarder that broke into the open. They did not have a play in this game of more than 30 yards. And that's really not what this offense is designed to do. They, they failed to take the top off of the defense. So, now granted, some of those were for touchdowns, but that's more a function of where you are on the field. I want to tell you about our second sponsor of the night for the Table Restaurant Group. They have Madison Social, Township, and Central right there in College Town in the shadow of Doak Campbell Stadium, as well as Soto, their bakery. Madison Social, kind of their, their title restaurant, awesome spot there. It's, it's upscale pub grub. We've had a lot of people tell us just how good the burger was. They, they came on our, our pub crawl on, on the Sunday before the Labor Day game. Against Virginia Tech, everybody had an awesome time of that. We're, we're still getting people emailing us and, and saying they had a, had a good time. So, um, you know, very, very awesome experience there. And people are like, hey, the burger? You were right, man. It was legit. So give them a follow on social and, uh, and and be sure to visit them next time you're in Tallahassee. Also Township uh, now down in Fort Lauderdale as well. So cool to see the For the Table restaurant group 
expanding throughout the state. With that, I'll move to defense. Uh, when I saw the score on my phone and I was at the wedding, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is bad. When I actually watched it, I was somewhat encouraged by what was happening. Hodges was going off. We, we, we spoke about this in, in the, the preview show. Delvin Hodges is a really good player. And uh, he made some dumb mistakes, but he also made a lot of hero ball throws. I was kind of surprised by how many young players Florida State played in this game. They, they had so many true freshmen out there. All three freshman corners played. A.J. Lighton, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, and, and Bolden also played. And then you have big Rob Cooper playing out there in, in the first quarter of the game and, and, and doing some things. And, man, if you were a freshman on defense, you pretty much got in this game. I think there were a couple couple freshmen who didn't play. But but overall, um, man, that's that's a lot of guys who, who ended up playing for you in the ballgame on defense and a lot of young guys. And, and I think they made some, some young guy mistakes. They, they certainly rotated players a ton. Now, look. 6.6 yards play is unacceptable. That was not a good defensive effort. I'm just I'm simply saying it was below average, not not terrible necessarily. Delvin Hodges 36 or 39 of 60. They threw the ball 60 times, 475 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions. So four turnovers there. We'll talk about the the, the turnover back uh, in a little bit. This was a very aggressive defense from from Harlan Barnett. They, especially in the second half, they blitzed a ton. I mean, it was not every play, but they probably blitzed uh, on over half of the plays in this game, and especially in the second half, uh, which was was interesting to see because of how quickly Sanford gets rid of the ball. They, they run that kind of Mike Leach air raid style offense. Hodges is a veteran, experienced quarterback who who does get rid of it. They weren't able to get a whole lot of pressure consistently with their front four because of how, how fast Hodges was getting rid of the ball. I do think some of the blitz stuff helped to change that a little bit and create some some free runners, and it caused Hodges to kind of throw the ball up some, which, le- which led to some turnovers. A little bit better press technique in the second half of the game. I like that that uh, that Coach Harlan Barnett was, the defense coordinator Harlan Barnett, was, will- was willing to pull players. You would see a guy screw up. And then you would see him come off the field, and he would be spoken to by a defensive coach, and somebody else would come in. They also, I, I think they used this game on defense to to rep a lot of different coverages in a game situation. We know their base coverage is their cover four press defense, but you really didn't see them running that in this ball game as much as you have in previous games, and certainly not as much as you have at Michigan State. Now, that will still be their base defense. I think in most of their better, most of their bigger games, they're going to play still a lot of cover four. But there are times you need to play enough other coverages to where you're able to disguise what you're in. They played cover one. They played cover zero. They did play some cover four. They also played some cover two. Uh, they, they played some, some straight-up man. They, they, they played some two under. Uh, they, they played some, some two trap, it looks like. This is definitely a, a thing I noticed, uh, and I think that led to some of the points that Sanford scored, the, the variety of coverages Florida State was playing, and they have to get better 
somewhat at playing some of those some of those other coverages. And I believe that Barnett wanted to get those guys experience in playing those other coverages. If Florida State's goal defensively was to come out and limit Sanford to fewer points than this, I think there's a legitimate shot that they could have. But I think they wanted to play good defense while also uh, mixing up coverages. And in that, they they accomplished one of their goals, which is mixing up coverages. I don't think they necessarily played all of those coverages as well as they wanted to play. Uh, Brian Burns, good job creating pressures. Didn't get any sacks, but but did force the ball out of Hodges' hands a, a little bit early at times. Uh, Marvin Wilson, sophomore defensive tackle, I thought had a strong game. That's good to see him coming on, coming off the knee injury as he continues to work himself back into game shape. In the second half, they played more of their, I don't know what they're calling it at Florida State, but at Michigan State, they called it the Delta package. I think they call it the same thing here. And that's where you have six defensive backs on the field, sort of that, that 3-2 look uh, up front with, uh, with Kando, Wilson, and Burns, especially against the pass because it wasn't like Sanford was going to run the ball a whole lot. You saw uh, Hompson Nasraldine get some more run as kind of a drop-down linebacker, which is encouraging. Finding ways to get him on the field to fit makes a lot of sense here. Uh, and then I thought Leonard Warner had, had a few decent plays, and that's good because they're going to need him because their linebackers are just not very good. And, you know, through two games, they've not really played a team that picked on them so much, but I'm, I'm sure that's coming. So don't don't go out – don't be thinking out there – that the linebackers are fixed or, or that they're all of a sudden good because because they're not. And then Levante Taylor uh, you know, had, a, had, a I think, a poor night by his standards. At least one coverage bust, got beaten coverage a couple times. Had a pick six to redeem himself to, to ice the game. And that was kind of in a uh, – if you watch that, he, he does a good job of baiting the quarterback. I think at other times he, the DBs were trying to bait the QB and got burned for it. So – We'll see how that goes. I, I think I think Levante Taylor's a good player. I don't know that he's quite as good as some in the FSU fan base were hyping him up to be, you know, when they were really mad about All-American lists, leaving him off and whatnot in the preseason. I think he's a good player. I think he's a guy who's certainly going to get drafted. Um, but I don't know that he's a, you know, top two or three corner in the nation. Special teams, Logan Tyler, I thought, punted the ball pretty well. And uh, Ricky Aguayo is now one of four on field goals this year. One of four. That is not going to work. This offense needs all the points it can muster. And missing a 40 and a 42-yarder, is uh, that's, that's rough. All right, now it's time to get to some questions. But first, we need to talk about our third sponsor of the night. It's Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans. Chad and Shannon want to hook you up with the best mortgage in the business they want to give you a great rate. They want to get it done fast with their almost home guarantee. They want to get your closing done fast. And they want to keep you informed throughout the process. We've had a number of our listeners go to them for their mortgage or refinance needs. I think that they're about to close on their ninth uh, deal since uh, since we started with them. So uh, it's nine and nine months and uh, been a great partnership so far. Just great feedback from listeners. So very happy uh, to be able to tell you all about Resolution Home Loans. How do you get in touch with these guys? Knowles Helping Knowles, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or go to FSUHomeLoans.com, FSUHomeLoans.com. Anyway, 
let's get into some questions here. And uh, there's a lot of them. We asked for questions, like I said, had a couple hundred. And, uh, well, I guess we'll just start this out the gate. Uh, question. Do the first two games change your overall outlook on the long-term outlook of this team? No. It's only two games. I, I said in the preseason, first of all, you really shouldn't be judging the coach on his win-loss record, barring something extreme, until after year three. We're in game two. The team is one and one. If you want to judge quality of play, I think after about 25 or 30 games, you get a much better much better picture. But still, we, we just finished game two. No, I, Willie Taggart has taken over bad situations at his previous three stops and pretty, pretty dramatically changed their fortunes. I don't have any reason to think that he won't do it here. We're two games in from a team that went, what, seven and, and, and five last year against a, a much weaker schedule. Uh, how nervous are you guys that the winning season and bowl streak will come to an end? Thanks for the great content as always. I, I think it's uh, it's warranted to think that's in concern. We knew this was a, a uh, consensus top five difficulty schedule. I haven't really seen a whole lot on the schedule to make you believe that's not the case. I think they have the sixth most difficult remaining schedule in the nation according to FPI. And the, the issue is you just play so many teams that are you know kind of in the top third of college football, if you will. That's just really tough for a team that has already suffered these offensive line injuries. And they, they've just, man, this was the weak spot. We knew they couldn't have any injuries there. And that's not something you can really control. It's injury luck. I think FPI has FSU projected to go five and seven. Uh, I think S&P is probably right there or a little bit more pessimistic. But you know, looking at some of this stuff, they have uh, FSU losing at Syracuse, um, a win over Northern Illinois. They say at Louisville's a coin flip. At home versus Wake, they have it at 59%. So that's an FSU win. At Miami, 18%, 14% against Clemson, 37% NC State, 13% at Notre Dame, 42% hosting Boston College, and 44% hosting Florida. And to that, I would say I, I'm actually more optimistic than that. Now, look, if they get any more offensive line injuries, this team could go three and nine. They just this, – this is the one disaster scenario that we laid out in the preseason. I thought with a reasonable injury luck, they would go somewhere between seven and five and ten and two, but they haven't had reasonable injury luck at the one spot they couldn't afford to have it. They're kind of screwed. Still, though, Florida gave up 303 rushing yards to Kentucky. In their last 21 games against Power 5 opponents, Florida has allowed 200 or more rushing yards 14 times. So two-thirds of the time, they're allowing 200-plus on the ground. That's a pretty big deal. I don't think Florida State will be an underdog to Florida in Tallahassee. I don't think they'll be an underdog to Boston College in Tallahassee. And I don't think they only have a 60% shot of beating Wake Forest in Tallahassee. So I would disagree some with these metrics. If you want to keep the bowl streak alive, I would strongly suggest winning this weekend's game at Syracuse. And we'll talk a little more about Syracuse coming up because I I, I peeked ahead and there's another question there. Um, I also don't think Florida State will be, you know, four or five to one to win the game at Miami. That, to me, is is too low. I think they'll get their doors blown off by Clemson, but I thought that in the preseason as well. My opinion there has not changed. It's it's only strengthened. 
But yeah, I'd look if if you get any more offensive line injuries, you absolutely could could lose the bowl streak because they're just running out of guys who can play at all, and that's that's not good, uh, especially if Dickerson, you know, if, if he doesn't end up coming back or or doesn't come back in the next couple games. Next question: All things being equal, which of the three schools in Florida would you most want to be for the next four years at this moment? Florida State. They are recruiting the best. I think, I mean, absent the injuries, I think they have the best roster currently, and I think they have pretty proven coaching staff. So I would go with with Florida State. Obviously, Florida is in for a a pretty sizable rebuild, it looks like, and Miami uh, is doing a good job, certainly. But I don't know that they actually have an answer at quarterback. It might be Jaron Williams who's on the roster. I liked him a lot. They signed him in the 2018 class, and he's a true freshman. We'll see how that goes. But uh, but they don't seem to have an answer at quarterback right now. And they're also – they don't appear to be taking, like, the next step, if you will, in recruiting so far. And so that, that'll be interesting to, uh, to, to watch. But I, I would go with, with Florida State right now. Next question. Switch the quarterbacks from Saturday night. What's the score? All right, so Florida State won by, it was 36-26. If you switch to the quarterbacks, does FSU win by more points? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, probably. You know, right now, I'd rather have Hodges than Francois. I, I don't think that's an outrageous sta- you know, statement. I know he plays for an FCS team, but he's going to break the all-time FCS record for, for yards, which was held by Steve McNair, and Steve McNair was a pretty good player. Yeah, I think that the quickness with which he gets rid of the ball, his ball placement. Now, he did throw picks, and Francois did not. He also was facing a much better defense in Florida State uh, than, than Francois was in Sanford. So, I yeah, I, I think maybe four points better. Maybe it's 38-21 or something like that. 38-24. Could be. Next question here. Is it time to change the offense? It's far from explosive. As a weak O line, or we need a two back set. I see we have a uh, we actually have fullbacks on the roster. No, okay. So this is I got this question a couple different ways, and I wanted to address this. And in, in picking out the questions, I tried to pick out questions that were reflective of what most people wanted to hear about. This is exactly the the, the fallacy that I'm talking about. You can, I think, continue to evolve the offense to your personnel. But this is an install. This is a long game. You are trying to put your system in. You are not going to completely scrap your system just to just to eke out another half win this year. You're not going to go play fullbacks and stuff like that because that could hamper your system install for next year and the year after. You want to have these guys rolling next year. You don't want to sacrifice the long term for a short term gain in a year in which you're not going to win anything, right? You're not. And I think you knew that preseason. At least we said it. Like, you're not going to, you're not really going to contend for, for the ACC. Maybe you contend for the state title, but I, I think Miami's probably the best team in the state this year. No, you, you're not changing up the offense. It, there's no fullback in Willie Taggart's offense. All right. They have H backs. They'll, they'll, they'll get Upshur back this week, he announced on Twitter. You know, maybe you'll use an additional tight end at times, but there are tweaks that you can make within the confines of the new system 
and then there's a total scrap and overhaul, and they are not going to do that, nor should they. I don't think it would actually work very well, by the way, to, to completely scrap what you're doing. It, and it's just ridiculous to suggest it. Two games into the season, it, it's like these these fans have no patience or whatever, but I guess we'll see. Question, is it encouraging or alarming that so many true freshmen have been playing through two games? Uh, I, I think uh, a little bit of both. We also have to keep in mind here the new redshirt rule and which players can play in four games and still retain their ability to redshirt. So I think there's you know, some attitude there that you want to get some guys some game experience to give them a kind of a taste of game experience and also to keep them motivated so that, that maybe they can play more later to keep their practice habits uh, good throughout the year and their spirits high. I think that that's, that's a big thing with this. But certainly at some spots – the, the number of true freshmen they've been playing. I mean, Jaden Woodby is your best linebacker right now, probably, him and Jackson. And he's a true freshman. You know, that that's – it's one thing to have a true freshman starting. It's another thing to have a, a true freshman be legitimately one of your better players on defense. I, I think that says some things maybe about some of the guys on this defense. Offensively, I don't have a problem with true freshman playing. I, I think that, you know, if you're good with the ball in your hands, Awesome. Question. I see a lot of similarities between Willie's first year and Kirby's at Georgia. Do you think this is a strong comparison or do you think that this is a lot different and why? He adds, obviously can't know for sure until later in Willie's tenure. I, I think in some ways it's it's a strong comparison. Uh, in other ways, I'm not sure it fits quite as much. We knew that there needed to be a culture change at Florida State. And we knew there needed to be a culture change at Georgia. From, so from that standpoint, I think it, it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And Kirby Smart went, what, six and seven his first year, I think, at Georgia or something like that. I, I, it wasn't good. They, they were fighting to make a bowl game. Now, year two at Georgia, they obviously had a, had a really nice season. He's got a little bit, little bit more in terms of support staff. And by a little bit more, I mean a lot more to work with at Georgia. Georgia has, has money that Florida State doesn't. doesn't they, they can't dream of having, booster-wise. Now, I will say there are a couple differences. The one difference that I see is that I think the schematic change from what Jimbo was running on offense to what Willie is running on offense is a lot more drastic um, than what you saw at Georgia. The offensive changes at Georgia, I don't think, were that significant compared to the, the other changes. And at Georgia, they were already – a lot of those guys had already run a similar style of defense because they had Jeremy Pruitt there, you know, the, the, the couple of years before. So, it, they, on, I think the schematic change for Georgia, there, there was much less kind of culture shock. But the cultural changes were, were real and, and needed, and at Florida State, uh, ditto that. The other issue is that Willie is not a first-time head coach. This is his uh, ninth year, I think, as a head coach. And Kirby Smart was a first-time head coach. So I think Kirby Smart probably made some mistakes that Willie has not made in terms of, of growing and learning on the job. I don't know how, how Georgia's injury luck uh, looked or if they happened to – I mean, not to go Star Wars reference here, but uh, this is kind of the, the that exhaust port that – you know, it's vulnerable, and all of a sudden, bam. That's These are the spots where where they couldn't afford injuries, and that they happened, and they happened early in the season, which really kills you. 
Next question. Uh, from what you see, is this more of an X and O's problem or an execution slash talent problem? I think I covered this a good bit in the positional review to open up the show, but I, I think it's definitely more of an execution slash talent problem and a newness of system problem. These guys are clearly gaining their comfort level uh, as the season rolls on with the tempo, which is not where it needs to be yet. Pretty drastic tempo change, certainly from what they were doing last year. And that'll come. And you also had some some pretty serious execution issues. I, I don't think what they're doing is unsound by any means, right? There's nothing there's nothing that they're doing where, where I'm like, that, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? At least not uh, holistically. Maybe an individual play here or there, but that's with any game with any coaching staff. I think they've done a good job adjusting some of their stuff already to their players, and there are certain things that you just can't adjust. There are certain things you just have to be able to do. Otherwise, the defense, just you become way too predictable. Next question. Is there any explanations for all the times we were shooting ourselves in the foot? I want to be patient with this staff. Well, I would hope so. It's it's game two. Uh, but the lack of discipline uh, and out-of-control way this team plays is frustrating. Well, I, I think this is twofold. Number one, I think that comes from a lack of confidence due to a lack of experience in the system. I think you'll see this team play with greater confidence and, and comfort level as the year wears on. Now, granted, they'll be playing better teams, so there'll be, there'll be teams that physically outplay them. But mentally, I think they'll be a little bit sharper as the year goes on. And I also believe there's a frustration level with some of the players right now who are simply trying too hard to make plays instead of just doing their job. And the staff has got to do a better job of telling them, hey, just do your job. Just do your job and let the rest take care of itself, right? Hey, if you're a running back, awesome. Just just run the play like it's designed to run. If it doesn't pop, we know. We'll grade you. We'll still give you a good grade on that play, even for, for a run that only goes for one yard because you took it, you ran hard, you ran on the track that you were supposed to run on. Not a problem. Question. Hey, guys, awesome work. I'm a faithful listener. Am I wrong for being patient with this team? In these two games, I don't think they've played pathetic. After two games, is it safe to say this is a bigger rebuild job than we first thought, or are the coaches not getting enough out of a talented group? That's a really good question. Uh, so the first part of that, am I wrong for being patient with this team? No. It's game two. I, I, some of this negativity in the fan base that I sense from the feedback we get in the comment section of TomahawkNation.com and also it, on, on Twitter and social media, it's just born out of unrealistic expectations for year one. The people who thought this team, who expected this team to go 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, I, I really think just are not based in reality. I'm looking back at my own prediction, and I thought anywhere between 7 and 5 and 10 and 2 was reasonable. And I think I was overly optimistic, apparently. I may have misjudged this team somewhat, but also, again, I mean, not to make the entire show about this, but the the entire season now needs to be viewed through this lens of, well, the offensive line is kind of screwed. That will put a damper on things. I, I think you adjust expectations downward, probably a full game, since you already lost during like, the Vatek game. You know, that's that's tough. But no, it, it's certainly not... Uh, Certainly not wrong to be patient with with a staff in, in, in game two. No. 
Uh, I think it, the, the opposite would be wrong. To be impatient would be wrong. Is it safe to say this is a bigger rebuild job than we first thought? Yes and no. I, I don't think it's a much bigger rebuild job than we first thought. I just think that the positions of weakness so far have been much weaker than we thought. I don't think the positions of strength have lacked strength, right? It's just the the offensive line and the linebackers are just not good. Or the coach is not getting enough out of a talented group. You know, I, I think through two games, I would have expected them to get somewhat more out of it. But then again, it's only two games. And they there are some significant roster holes, which obviously are not their fault because uh, they've only been here on campus for you know, nine months and one, one half recruiting class, really. Uh, there's significant holes that they have to coach around, which is which is very difficult. Question, how can we be three-point favorites against Syracuse? Well, uh, Syracuse, they've got an offense. They're going to score some points on Florida State. Can Florida State score points on air? Because i got to tell you, Syracuse's defense, not real good. Not real good at all. In fact, they allowed 9.4 yards per play against Western Michigan. Syracuse's defense is really just not very good. Florida State should be able to go up there and score. For all the questions, you know, hey, can FSU score? People are also equally asking, can can Syracuse get any stops? And I think that is absolutely a question worth asking. I don't know what, what the answer to that is. This will be an interesting test because Syracuse runs a very similar offensive system to what Florida State runs. And uh, they've been running it for several years, with, and they'll have the better quarterback in this game. Dungy's a better player than Francois is, and I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But we'll have to see if Syracuse's defense can get any stops, and then also, you know, how, how well will Florida State's uh, own defense play? But I don't think it's crazy to think Florida State's a favorite in this game, and I mean that's what Vegas thinks as well so far. Is the struggles this season uh, the result of culture over the last three years, the missing year of development, a lack of talent, or a coaching staff? that is in over their heads. Well, I, I certainly don't think it's the last thing. I don't know what would suggest that they're in over their heads. Missing your development last year certainly hurt a bit. A lack of talent overall, no, at certain spots, yes. Especially because of the injuries which have exposed that lack of talent in, in, in the in the reserve level. Cultural, yeah, I, I think there's, there's some cult- culture stuff that is still in the process of being fixed, but I think it's encouraging that the staff recognized the issues and recognized them quickly and went about um, fixing them. You know, kids were not going to class. Now they have the highest team GPA since 2000. And look, nobody showed up to watch chemistry class, right? That's a pretty famous line about why why coaches are, are paid more than teachers. I get it. But that, along with, with a real lack of off-season runs with the law, I do think actually represents a, a very positive culture change. Kids actually going to class and caring about, about academics in their future is a marked change from what we had under Jimbo Fisher. And kids not getting in trouble, or at least not getting in trouble as, as much. You're never going to have 85 college kids, you know, college guys, not getting any kind of trouble. But, yeah, I, I think that the culture change the last three years – does persist, or not the culture change, but the culture of the last three years does persist somewhat uh, to hurt this team. Question, these quick receiver screens don't work. I'm not sure Francois can get the ball out there any quicker. The receivers don't block it well, and it seems like an easy play to stop. Why do we keep running these, especially on third and one? 
they actually need to run these more. This question, I might write about this this week because I've got this a lot and it's very clear that our fans just don't get it. And so I'll need to maybe explain to them. And if I write this, maybe I'll have a piece I can reference more often. But first of all, they, they do work. It's simply a numbers game. You, you throw these because you need to keep the defense honest or because you have favorable blocking numbers out there. If you don't throw these when the numbers say that you should, then you are basically killing yourself because of the fact that, look, if they only have two guys out there to defend three three receivers, you know what that means? That means they have nine guys closer to the box to defend your eight. They have a numerical advantage against your run if they are not going to align and respect your outside game. So you should throw the ball out there and the receivers need to block better. Completely agree on that. But if you abandon throwing those bubble screens, your offense is just completely dead. Not because the bubble screens are a weapon, but because of the fact that it keeps defenses honest. And that when you throw those, you should be throwing those because you see, hey, they only have two defenders. We have two blockers. Our receiver is basically uncovered here. Um, and they did work better in this game, by the way. The idea that it didn't work is is not true. Hopefully that explains it better to people. You've got to do that to keep the defense honest. When you spread the field like this, you make the defense cover the whole field. That is one of the primary goals of the offense. You want to put the defense in space. If the defense doesn't go out there to cover those guys and you don't throw it, think about the numerical disadvantage you are at between the hashes because the defense is not respecting the outside, which means they're over-respecting the inside. I hope that helps. And and, Ta- and Fred Swat definitely could throw those better, by the way. He's not done a great job of of, of, of doing the, uh, the, the zone read bubble series at all. That's, that's an area he can definitely improve. I spoke about that earlier in the show. And there are several examples so far uh, where he needs to pull the ball and pitch it out there. Question. Was Taggart's biggest mistake talking up the offensive line in the preseason? Did he, did he think the change from Jimbo's to his offense would be easier because of his year at Oregon and how quickly they switched to USF from a pro style to a spread system? Uh, this is a good question. No, I, I don't think it was a mistake talking them up because I think what he's being honest about what he was seeing. We were hearing the same things out, out of practice, that the starters were playing decently. The problem is that you don't have your starters anymore. And we literally said, what's the one thing that can really kill this season? It's not quarterback injury. You've got multiple quarterbacks on this roster who you trust. It's offensive line injury because the backups simply can't play. They're not any good. And right now, two games into the season, you're already severely into your in, in, into your bench, and that's bad. I don't think his year at Oregon inspired him to believe that, that the change would be easier or anything. And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to put the, put words in the guy's mouth. I do think that a change from a uh, more pro style offense to to one that's more spread at USF uh, probably gives him confidence that he can do it. And and maybe this is this is tougher because simply, you know, even though he did go pro style to spread at USF fairly quickly, maybe uh, maybe there's a part of that because he already knew the roster since he recruited it in, in large part. Maybe that that gave him, gave him a leg up in terms of how to convert his existing system to, to the spread. But yeah, I think he, he's, if you, if you gave him truth serum, he's, he's probably a little bit disappointed in how fast the uh, the, the offense has changed over, or, or lack of fast, rather. 
but I mean, the, the greatest disappointment here is the offensive line injuries. They just, it is what it is, guys. They don't have guys who can play. They're just going to have to take their lumps this year repeatedly. How alarming is the lack of second-half adjustments to you on offense? That's one thing we can use to count on from Jimbo. I haven't really seen a lack of second-half adjustments. I think they have changed things up in the second half. People probably need to go back and watch closer. We also discussed this on a prior show. Jimbo did usually make good second-half adjustments. He also lost a, a lot of games in the first half by by kind of, I don't want to say screwing around, but, but kind of poking and prodding a little bit too much. And sometimes those those leads that teams had at the half were insurmountable. Question, if nothing else, how do we permanently squash the turnover backpack? Oh, gosh. This is probably our most popular question of the week. Uh, lame on its own, even worse when you steal the idea from Miami of Florida. And then other question, is it ridiculous to think that Willie, though he has talked about reviving the culture and reminded players of FSU's past, has tainted the brand with stupid gimmicks and falling flat in his ass out of the gate? Well, okay. Whew, man, people are just mad and they want to lash out at anything, I guess. Uh, if you don't know, uh, backpacks are a pretty popular trend with uh, with, with youth and uh, certainly not with most of the folks who are asking about this, which would be middle-aged white guys, but that's not the, the demographic they're trying to reach here, right? You're trying to, to reach with a turnover backpack, which, again, the phrase is secure the bag, right? It's like get paid. You know, make make a big time play, cash in. Look, do I think it's cool? Not really. Do I think it's a big deal? Also, no. Do I think recruits will think it's pretty cool? Yeah, probably. I mean, I I, I think I don't know how long it'll last because I don't know how long secure the bag will be a phrase that 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 people use, right? So I don't know if this is like like a multi year thing. It might just be a one year thing. You know, does it look kind of silly to put on a backpack when you're still losing against Sanford? Sure, but do we want the players to be miserable during the game? Like, like, do you want the players to act like all sad and sullen just because that's how the fan base is acting right now? Because I, I don't think that helps anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with celebrating good plays, win or lose. Now, you can over-celebrate something. If it becomes a distraction, which I don't have any real reason to believe that that, that it, it will or is, then that'd be bad. But I don't have a problem with it. I think a turnover spear would be cooler. You know, it's a little more of an action item as opposed to something you put on. But secure the bag is something that, that they, I think the kids like. And I, I do think recruits will definitely understand the message, even if, you know, fans at home uh, don't. I don't think they also stole the idea from Miami. At this point, pretty much everybody in college football has some kind of gimmick on the sideline. So turnover belt, right? The, the championship belt of Alabama. Georgia has like the spike shoulder pads. You know, Kennesaw State has the turnover plank. It's like a plank of wood, literally. I mean, there's all you have the turnover throne you go sit on. There's the turnover robe. There's a lot of turnover stuff, which, by the way, I think just the whole idea of turnover anything is stupid. Because you're incentivizing plays that are largely random. I'd rather have a big play backpack, right? If you made a big play with great individual effort, then you get to put it on. Because turnovers, as we know, are pretty random. And incentivizing acts that are largely random to me doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. 
as for the question about um, tainted the brand with stupid gimmicks and falling uh, flat out of the gate. No, I, I think that's pretty silly, to be honest. No, I, I don't think the brand is, is tainted at all. I'm not even sure this question. This, this might have been sarcasm. I think people are just angry because the team's losing some ball games, And I think that a lot of people had unrealistic expectations, which surprises me because I think a lot of people listen to this show. Uh, I think a lot of people had, had unjustified and unre- unrealistic expectations about this team going into the year. And, uh, well, they're disappointed that those unjustified expectations are not going to be met. Five stars on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. We'll be back on uh, Thursday or Friday with our preview of the Syracuse game. You can continue to send us questions at Nolcast on Twitter. And uh, we very much appreciate you all listening. Tell your friends.